Good morning. Um, before I get into any word, I'd just like to set the record straight. Um, Mbali loves doing announcements. Where is she? <laughs> she, she really does. I remember this one time. Um, we, we have a roster, so the roster like was coming to an end. So she, she messaged me. She's like, oh, please send me the next roster. I need to know early. I need to know early. And I think low key, it's because she likes to practice a stand up up here. <laughs> but it's fine. We, we enjoy it. Um, so you guys can work it out. <laughs> um, yeah, it's good to be here again, uh, this morning preaching. Um, I, I really enjoy doing this, and today I've got a bit of a tough task on my hands. I'm going to be talking about loneliness, and then the mood in the room changes. <laughs> okay, guys, don't feel lonely yet. Uh, I've got good news. I've got good news. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I was, I, was, I, was, I was reading up about loneliness, just finding out what do psychologists have to say about it, what does the world have to say about loneliness. And it was actually very damning, the, the, the information that I found that's readily available. Um, there was a question that was asked. Um, the, 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 the questioner said, I'm lonely. Can I die from this? Such, a, such an interesting question. It might seem foolish, at first glance, but it's so packed and it has so much weight in it. Um, and the answer to the question was actually a startling yes. The answer to that question is a startling yes. And loneliness um, has effects more damaging than smoking 15 cigarettes in one day. So it has the, a greater damaging effects than smoking 15 cigarettes per day. And it also has more damaging effects than obesity. We know obesity has health issue um, challenges um, attached to it as well. So loneliness is, is really something that can also attack our physical um, health. And here's a couple of stats for you this morning. It says loneliness increases the likelihood of mortality by 26%. The effect of loneliness and isolation on mortality is comparable to the impact of well-known risk factors such as obesity and has a similar influence as smoking cigarettes. Loneliness is associated with an increased risk, with an increased risk of, um, sorry. Loneliness is associated with an increased risk of developing coronary heart disease and stroke. Loneliness increases the risk of high blood pressure Lonely individuals are also at a higher risk of the onset of disability. So not only does it have effects on our physical health, but it also has effects on our mental health. Here's a couple of stats. Loneliness puts individuals at greater risk of cognitive decline. Um, One study concludes lonely people have a 64% increased chance of developing clinical dementia. Lonely individuals are more prone to depression and loneliness and low social interaction are predictive of suicide. It was very interesting. One one commentator actually said it like this, that not everyone um, 
who is lonely will commit suicide, but everyone who commits suicide is lonely. So looking at all of that, um, this morning I'm not just talking about something menial and trivial, just like, oh, okay, boo-hoo, I'm alone, there's no one around me. This thing has very um, serious implication, health and otherwise, um, yes, for physical and mental health. So it's a very um, um, deep um, thing. And it's something that the enemy uses a lot to to attack God's um, children. And we're busy doing a a series called called Transformed. And what Christ does when he comes into our lives is he transforms us and he makes us withstand the, the, the wilds of the enemy, makes us withstand the arrows of the enemy. So as we're going through this today, this is not me trying to paint a picture of, of how lonely we can get or how desolate things can be. But what I'm trying to do here is point us to the fact that A, God knows that loneliness is there and it's a thing, and B, that he has an eternal solution for it. You know, it's not just a temporary solution, but it's eternal. Um, so let's, 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 let's first talk about alone versus lonely. You know, sometimes the two words are confused, uh, but a person can be alone without feeling lonely. Alone describes a state of being, you know, so they separated from other people or entities or they are apart from other people or entities. Um, but lonely describes an emotional response to one's circumstances. So it's how you're responding emotionally to where you are. So one can be in a room full of people, but they can still feel lonely. They're not apart from other people. They're not separated from other people, but emotionally, there's a detachment that has occurred. And sometimes we're very quick to associate loneliness with um, maybe the aged, uh, maybe um, widows and widowers, and maybe also single people. And, you know, as much as sometimes those people might go through loneliness at some point in their lives, um, now and again, loneliness affects everyone. It really is a phenomenon that can reach to everyone. And it's not only limited to certain people. And you might find that some people who actually live alone are actually satisfied and they're fulfilled. And they're not lonely. So we need to not make that mistake of thinking, oh, you're alone, you're lonely. You know, but sometimes loneliness is so subtle that even though you're around so many people and even though you seem like you're buzzing and you're doing so much, we can miss it. So loneliness happens to everyone. Those who are in top management positions, those who um, have conquered entire sporting codes and they have thousands upon thousands of fans adoring them. Loneliness happens to the doting wife and the loving husband. Loneliness happens to the, the ones who have a family. Loneliness happens to each and every person and there's no crevice and there's nothing you can do as a person to make sure that loneliness never really reaches you. And sometimes loneliness comes in bouts. You know, sometimes it's seasonal, sometimes it comes and then it goes. But for some people, loneliness is actually a state of being. 
where through everything that happens in their life, they're feeling lonely. No matter what they accomplish, no matter what they do. And perhaps the saddest point or the most damaging part of loneliness might actually come after your greatest achievement. Where you've done the greatest thing that you thought your life was worth. That you thought your purpose was. Maybe the greatest thing that you've poured your entire life and and purpose into or your energy into. Such a great achievement. And after you reach that achievement, you had so much hope of so many things being filled in your heart. You have so much hope of so much contentment. And sometimes that is the most loneliest place that we can be. Where we have overcome, not only when we are feeling sad, not only when we are in sorrow, but sometimes loneliness comes in the height of success. Henry Thoreau said, the mass of men lead lives of desperation. Desperate that I'm I'm waiting to exhale. Can something just happen? Can something just, just pull so that I can breathe again? I'm living my life and I feel like I'm holding my breath in. Mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. Walking. Doing life. No one notices, but it's so real inside. And we pray. Father God, we thank you. For this morning, we thank you, Father God, that your word is true. Thank you, Father God, that you are victorious over all. And Lord, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we thank you for your grace and that you are a father and that you love us, Lord, so dearly. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are an, our answer, Father God, to every need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, please could you open to John 4? Verse 5 to 24, and you can just stay there. John 4, verse 5 to 24, you're not going to see it up top there. So if you don't have a Bible, you can check next to a Christian. If you are sitting next to a Christian, I'm joking. <laughs> John, 5, John 4, verse 5 to 24. It's a very popular uh, piece of scripture, um, popularly dubbed the woman of the well. Um, So from verse 5 it goes, this is talking about Jesus. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, we have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you, do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank for it himself? 
as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain or a spring of of water, springing up into the everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we worship. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Amen. I'd like to zoom in on a particular part of the scripture when Jesus is asking this lady to give her a drink. He says, give me a drink. Um, and then she responds this way. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Um, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And his answer is very interesting. He doesn't answer her question in typical fashion. Um, he, he, he answers something else. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you, to give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So I find it very interesting that in this encounter, it first talks to us about how Jesus was tired from the journey and how much he had need. Um, And then he puts out his need to this woman. And as the dialogue goes on, he ends up saying, you know what? I've got so much more to give you than what you could give me. And if you knew that, you would have just asked me. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. Like, he, he's sitting there, he, he has a need, and then he's like, oh, okay, um, you come here and, and, and let me satisfy. But he, he actually, part of his need and part of Jesus' um, thirst um, was not only for water, but it was so that this particular woman, let's single her out, that this particular woman may be made whole again, that this particular woman may be touched again, that this particular woman may find joy and peace again in her life. He knew about her problems. She didn't have to come to him and say, you know what, this is what I'm going through. But he knew about it, and he was there, even though he had a need. But some, some of his need was that she may get well. And I'd like to liken this um, account to another story and then tie it up. Um, this story is found in Genesis 24, verse 12 to 21. It'll come up over there. Um, Genesis 24, verse 12 to 21. This is a story of, of how 
Isaac got his wife, Rebecca. And this is also a popular story, but if you don't know it, let me dramatize it for you. Um, Abraham was um, very old, and his son doesn't have a wife, and he's thinking, age the heir, and he's, I'm going to leave him by himself. So he was, he was old, and he had a, a servant who was servant over all. So he was manager, Induna. He was in charge of everything that Abraham owned, and he was the one who managed all his, on his stuff. And Abraham was a very wealthy man. So Abraham um, calls his servant in and he says, um, swear to me that you will go to the land of my fathers. So where he comes from, Langpuma when, when a servant, go there. <laughs> go there and speak to and, 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 and find my son a wife. So the servant is like, yo, how am I going to do this? Um, it's such a difficult thing. Who here would, would, would want someone to, to, to find them their spouse? <laughs> Who here wouldn't want someone to find them their spouse? <laughs> I, I see we're divided on this issue, but I myself am also like, I, I'm not sure. Because there's pros and cons to both of it. <laughs> Let's first start with sending someone to find you someone. You don't know who they're going to bring back. You don't know if you're going to like them. You know, you know the saying that says, if you want something done well, do it yourself. Like, this is where I really think it really ties in. Because you think, you sit there and you're thinking, yo, <laughs> what am I going to get here? Do they know me well enough? Um, am I going to be compatible with this person? And, and those are decisions you really want to make yourself. However, on the flip side, and this is why I'm in such a conflict about this, is because you find that it's so difficult for even you to find that person. So that sometimes you just wish, you know what? Let me outsource this responsibility. (laughs) Go find them, make sure they're perfect, and make sure they're perfect and bring them to me. You know, so I, I go through, I, 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 I fast forward all the, the meeting and the talking and the getting to know and the this and the that. So there's, there's really a conflict within me and I'm not going to give you an answer this morning, I'm sore. <laughs> but let's carry on with the story. So... The servant is like, hey, it's a difficult job, but okay, my master, I've been with you for so long, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. So he goes, he takes um, camels, he takes food, he takes um, some expensive jewelry. I, I told you this man was wealthy. Um, so he takes some, some stuff with him and he goes, goes on his long journey. And he, <laughs> yeah, he took his lobola there with him. <laughs> Um, and, he, and he goes on this long journey, and when he gets there, he's like, okay, God, the, sorry, the God of my, fa- my, my master Abraham, um, show me. Okay, let me, let, let's take it from verse 12. It says, then he said, oh God, oh Lord, God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day. And show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, the And the daughters of the man of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink. 
and I will also give your camels to drink. Oh, let's pause there. Um, have you ever read facts about how much camels drink? <laughs> you, you haven't. Camels drink a whole lot of water, like gallons and gallons and liters and liters of water. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get the exact amount for you this morning. I'm so sorry about that. Um, but, but trust me, and you can go and look. Camels drink a whole lot of water. So this guy's prayer is a radical prayer. He's standing there, and he's saying, whoever comes and not only offers me something to drink, but gets water for all of my camels. That's a radical prayer right there. Ladies, who would be out there like, okay, there's a poor man. If, I'm, if, if, you, if you're there to get water, okay, let me get water for him and his camels as well. <laughs> um, I grew up in a place for a certain part of my life where people did go out and get water. And it was mostly the young ladies. Um, and from what I know, there's no chance of that happening. <laughs> but anyway... That's what this guy prays. Um, so whoever drinks of the water, oh, sorry, wrong one. Um, so okay, and then so so, so there's, a, there's a lady who came, and it happened before he had finished speaking. And behold, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water. And, and he gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also, until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied a pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all the camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Isn't the last line just interesting? This this guy is still wondering, has the Lord made my journey prosperous or not? (laughs) I mean, she's there already getting the... (laughs) But look at the striking similarities at at these two stories. Um, There's a servant sent by a master, um, and there's Jesus sitting. They're both at the well, and they're both waiting for a lady, and the lady comes. And when that lady comes, they both want something from them, but they have something greater to give to them. Ladies, how's marrying a rich husband sound to you? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So this guy comes from all over, all the way there, and he comes and he says, you know what? My, my master, who's a very rich man, wants to give you off in marriage. Uh, sorry, wants to actually take you for his son in marriage, you know? Um, and, and also Jesus had, had this, but it, it, it starts from a, let's, let's look at marriage as a symbolism. You know, this, this story culminates in, in Isaac and Rebecca getting married, you know, which is a great thing to happen. 
um, I married my wife, and it's a great thing when it happens. <laughs> but then this, this, this marriage that we enter into is not perfect. However, God still trusts these marriages and these families that we have to bring in new children to. Isn't that a, 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 another level of trust? To bring newborn babies into these families. So you find that God, in his infinite wisdom, decided that when children come, they need to have a, a, a mother and a father. And they need to get nurtured by both and get love from both and get security from both and be, and be raised by both of them. So you find that um, as you come into a, a marriage, even though it's not, it's not perfect, but it really um, holds such an important part in society. And a big part of loneliness and this emotional withdrawal I was talking about really stems from the brokenness of family. A lot of it, overwhelming evidence has come that so much of it comes from broken families, from, 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 from fathers who are not there, from words that are not spoken, or words that were spoken which were not supposed to be spoken. You know, so it comes from a lot of different things. And let's, let, let's look at Jesus and when he met the woman at the well. He didn't say, come, I want to marry you. Come, let's find a priest somewhere. But what he really was calling that woman into, he was calling her into a covenant of marriage with God for eternity. And what he was calling her to is, is so much more important and it's so much more valuable. It's, 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 it's blameless. It's, it's perfect. You know, there's no blemish in it. Our, our marriage here might have problems here and there. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of positives in it, but it might have problems. But God is calling this woman into a perfect marriage. And he calls each and every one of us into a perfect marriage with him. Even the guys. And that's what salvation is. That God wants to get us to him together. That's why Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom. That he is here to call each and every one of us unto him. And it's interesting how when scripture talks about the husband's role in a, in a, in a, in a marriage, it talks about that husbands, you ought to love your wife. So Jesus is, 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 is here standing at the well and he's saying, I'm here and I want to love on you. And he's saying, I'm here. I want to stand with you in the time of pain, in the time of darkness, in the time where everything else seems like it's deserted you. I want to stand here with you. When the job that you've poured out your entire life into rejects you and they fire you and they retrench you without even a second thought. When that girl that you thought was the one really doesn't end up going, the, going the, the, the whole road with you. When that business that you've poured out your entire sweat in you, in, in, into doesn't really make it. 
He's saying, I want to be there during those times when you're feeling lonely, when you're feeling like whatever it is that you are amassing and are putting around you, putting around stuff just to make sure you feel like there's something there. I want to be there and be the real substance among the stuff. I want to stand and I want to be there with you. I want to fill that void. I want to fill that gap that's in there. This passage talks about a woman who had had seven, how many wives? I mean, husbands. (laughs) This woman who had had multiple husbands. And still there was no fulfillment. Because for some of us, we think, you know what? Once I get married, then this and this and this falls away. Or once this happens, then all this lonely, all this void that I feel inside will go away. There are people who have thousands upon thousands, excuse me, who look at them in adoration. Who put up their, post, their, their, their pictures, their profile pictures, yet they've never known them. But those people also feel lonely. So Jesus was calling this woman into something much more superior than what we have. Because all of these things, although we have them, and although sometimes they can satisfy um, some aspects of our lives... There always seems that there's always something missing. I've found in my life that whatever was happening, even if things were good, there was always something missing, always something that I felt like I needed. Felt like something was just not right. So Jesus, so God sent his servant Jesus in the form of man so that he could overcome everything. And marriage is a temporary thing. Our families here are a temporary thing. Um, we come together, we, 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 we raise each other, we challenge each other, um, we're there for each other. But then sometimes we, we don't find that enough because it's temporary. In, in certain seasons, you find yourself alone and that brings loneliness. Nothing can satisfy us like Jesus. This is what Augustine of Hippo said. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. It's something Blaise Pascal said. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. So these guys are telling us that there is a void and there is a gap that only God can fill in us. But sometimes if we don't know God, then we look to stuff to fill that void. That husband, that family, that business, that, 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 that. The next best car, the next best I don't know what. I'm going to be popular. I'm going to make sure everyone knows who I am. I'm going to give good gifts to people so that they like me. Stuff. 
grasping at straws, trying to fill that void, and everything you try just keeps on gnawing away at you. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. Sometimes we take this void and and these needs that we're feeling and we place them on people. God-sized needs, God-sized expectations on fallible man. That's never going to end well. Sometimes we, we look at our parents in that way. Sometimes we look at spouses in that way. Sometimes we look at boyfriends, pastors, you name it. Take all of these expectations that only God can carry, which only God can really um, carry through, and we place them on fallible man. It's only God who can satisfy. Now, let me demonstrate or illustrate this. Um, there's a, there's a second part where, where Jesus now starts talking about worship in this. So he's saying, um, so this woman is, is, is talking about, okay, fine, um, I see that you know me and so forth, but um, let, let's talk about this worship part of this. Sorry, I just lost my place. Um, okay, so... When the woman talks about worship, and he talks about, she talks about worship at a place. So she, her idea of worship is that it's something that I need to get out of my daily routine and the things that I do normally and go to a specific place where I'm not usually at that place every time or all the time. And that's where I worship. And Jesus says to her, listen... Worship comes through salvation. And once the salvation is there, then you really come into a place where you worship God in spirit and in truth. And this is actually very, um, it's, a, it's a powerful statement. And how it illustrated is, um, when I was a little boy, I used to, I used to, when I'm upset or when I'm crying, I used to run to my mom or my dad. And what would they do? They'd give me a sweet. One sweet. <laughs> and what would, what would happen to my, to my sadness or my tears? Oh, God, one sweet. <laughs> you know, they give me a sweet, I'm happy. But then if someone were to come to me now when I was upset... Or if I was crying and they gave me a sweet. Maybe I would be angry. <laughs> Maybe I'd be more upset. <laughs> but what used to satisfy me and what used to fulfill me when I was a little child doesn't fulfill me any longer. And that's what happens the, long, the older we get, the more it takes to fulfill us with gratitude. And the unfortunate thing is that when I was a child, my focus was on what instead of who. So although my parents, 
they, 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 they let it slide because I was a little child. I didn't understand. So they would take it. It's fine. You can take the sweet. But the, the, the thing is, although material things can make us feel happy for an instant or for a while. Like if someone bought me a car, I wouldn't mind, guys. <laughs> you know, and that would make me happy for a while. But would it really fulfill me? Because after a while, I get used to that car. And there's still a yearning. I still want something else. But if I direct my attention to the who, when I started realizing that it's not really the sweets that make me feel better, but it's actually the people who give me the sweets. I need to have an appreciation for them. I need to have an appreciation for the fact that when I'm feeling sad, that they drop everything and that they come and they stand around me and they love on me and they ask me, how can I make this better? How can I love you better? And that's who God is in our lives. He is that father. That when we, are, we stub our toe and we're crying, he comes with the sweet. But it's not just the sweet that we need to be looking at. But we need to appreciate who he is. And that is what worship is. It's appreciating who God is in our lives. And what God is doing in our lives. And who he is when we in times of trouble. When in times of despair. That he stands. And he's that brother. He's that friend that sticks closer than a brother. That he says he'll never leave nor forsake us. That he says he will stand next to us no matter what is happening. And that we should look to him. And that we should give him our burdens. That is who he is. And when we begin to look past the stuff that's around us and to look at the person of Jesus, that is when worship really begins to fulfill us. Because fulfillment comes from gratitude. And gratitude is found in a steadfast stature and and, and form of worship. When worship is a constant theme in our lives, where we adore him and when we look to him and when we call on him, whenever we find ourselves isolated and apart from people, we need to stand on him, on the person of who Jesus Christ is, on what he has done for us. Jesus was calling this woman to worship in spirit and in truth. We're going to play a video very soon, but before we get to the video, I'd like us to all take some time this morning and think about places and things that have happened in our lives. Maybe not now, maybe in our childhood, whenever they happened. Think about what these things are in our own lives. The stuff that we try to fill our lives with. It's a song that says, only you satisfy. And it's so true. If you're ready with the video. It was a well-known lawyer and businessman in Chicago in the 1860s. 
where he lived with his wife, Anna, and their five children. He had invested heavily in real estate along the shores of Lake Michigan. He was a prosperous man and a devout Christian. However, in 1870, a series of events began to turn Horatio's world upside down. That year, Horatio and Anna's only son died of scarlet fever at the tender age of only four. A year later, while the Spaffords were still grieving the loss of their son, the Great Chicago Fire broke out and destroyed nearly every one of Horatio's investments. His entire life savings was gone. Aware of the toll these disasters had taken on his family, Horatio decided to take his wife and four daughters on a holiday to England, where they planned to accompany the famous evangelist D.L. Moody on his next crusade. However, just before they set sail, a last-minute business development forced Horatio to delay. Not wanting to ruin the family holiday, he persuaded his family to go on as planned, and he would follow along later. With this decided, Horatio stayed in Chicago while Anna and the girls boarded the French steamship Ville du Havre to set sail for England. But several days later, Horatio received devastating news. The Ville du Havre had been struck by an iron sailing vessel from England. The ship sank in only 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 passengers. It was the worst disaster in naval history until the sinking of the HMS Titanic 40 years later. day he received a telegraph from Anna from Wales. It read these six words, survived alone, what should I do? The Spafford's four daughters were among those who perished. boarded the next ship out of New York to join his bereaved wife. During his voyage, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge. A careful reckoning has been made, he said, and I believe we are now passing the very place where the Ville du Havre sank. And it was there while staring into the watery grave of his beloved daughters, that Horatio pinned the words to the great hymn, 
it is well with my soul. What do you do when the world crumbles at your feet? When you feel alone and isolated? This man saw his entire life really crumbling before him. First, he lost all his livelihood. He lost his son. He lost his daughters. Remember, I said loneliness is how you emotionally respond to your circumstances. And so often, tragedy leaves us in a place where we're so lonely. Where we find that no matter what someone says to encourage us, we're Christians. Have you prayed this prayer? Maybe you're not believing right. Maybe you need to have more faith that Jesus will come through. God is here. God is in charge. Although those words are true, sometimes they feel so empty. But what did this man do in that time of such tribulation? stood at that scene, or he was at that scene where his daughters had drowned. And he wrote a song of worship to God. And that song said, it is well with my soul. He said, it is well with my soul. He talks about all the troubles that can come, everything that can go wrong. But he stands on the fact that it is well with my soul. You know, we can be lonely and we can find ourselves in darkness. But Jesus said something to this woman which is so powerful. He said, if you knew who it was, was asking you, you would ask him and he would give you. He would give you living water. That's what this living water is. It pours out of you even when you find yourself in the darkness. The light that is in you is so much greater than what is happening around you. When you're in a posture of worship and adoration of who God is, even the darkness isn't enough to dim the light of God. Listen to me carefully. I'm not here today to tell you that you'll never be lonely again. 
I'm not here to tell you that you'll only have great things happening in your life. You'll have some challenges in your lives. You'll have some bad things happen in your lives. But what I'm here to tell you is that there is one who always stands by that well and he sees you. And he wants to come and he wants to wrap his hands around you. Time will come when the worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. Why don't you just stand? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you, Lord, for, for your love, Father God, in us your great and mighty love, Father God, in us, for us. And Lord, we thank you that wherever we find ourselves, Father God, in a place of loneliness, find ourselves separated, find ourselves apart, find ourselves, Father God, emotionally withdrawn from anything that is happening. Lord, I speak against the spirit of depression that attaches itself so often to loneliness. I speak against the spirit of suicide, Father God, that attaches itself so often to suicide. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father God, that as the enemy seeks to isolate us emotionally, as he seeks to isolate us physically, that, Lord, we will stand in your truth. And with a beautiful aroma of worship unto you. Remembering who you are. Remembering that you're with us. Remembering that whatever we're going through, that you have gone through it in the, on the cross. And you are still there right now going through it for us, Father God. That you take our burdens, Jesus, and you put them on your own shoulders. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, Father God, this morning. Lord, I know that so many of us walk these streets with cries of quiet desperation. But though we smile inwardly, we're perishing. Lord, I thank you that you have made a way, Father God, that you fill us with your spirit, that you fill us with your joy, that you fill us with your peace, Father God. Lord, I thank you where find ourselves lonely because we're failing to communicate with, with people that we need to communicate with. I pray, Father God, that you give us the strength. Lord, I know sometimes it feels when we find ourselves in those places of loneliness, it feels like we're just a shame. Shame is, is that feeling of wanting to hide, of not wanting to be seen. 
Lord, I thank you that when we are gripped with shame, that you will break those barriers, Father God, and that we will speak out. That we will hide no longer. Lord, we know it's the enemy that isolates. But Lord, you call us to communion. You call us to fellowship with other believers. You call us to communion with you, oh God. Lord, I thank you that when we find ourselves in those places where we don't feel like praying, that we'll press through in prayer. Where we don't feel like singing songs unto you. That we will sing those songs unto you, oh God. That you will break the shame in our lives. Bless you, Lord. of his comfort are flowing over us this morning just for those of you who are desperate and in need of just the comfort of the father just why don't you just open your hands to him this morning i'm not going to rush this moment or just get on with life just we came here to meet with him if you're in that place and you just feel isolated and you feel alone this morning i really believe there's a special touch from heaven for you that God just wants to open the heavens above us right now and just pour out comfort on you. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Praise be to the God of all comfort. Praise be to the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we too can comfort others. He's the God of all comfort this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, when, we, when we're hurting and when we're alone, there's a place we can go. It's to Him. And He can satisfy us more than even fixing the problem, you know? Fixing the problem's great. It's wonderful when the problems are fixed and when the, you know, stuff goes right. But it's possible to be on the bow of a ship over the very place where disaster has struck and to receive comfort in that place because he is the God.